Hello and welcome to episode 304 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is a very special guest. For me, probably one of the best singers on the planet, one of the best songwriters and just an all-round amazing person. I'm lucky enough on this episode to be joined by Andy Hull from the absolutely incredible band Manchester Orchestra. This interview was recorded in person backstage only a couple of weeks ago at their recent show at the Manchester Academy No. 2. And my God, some concerts, some gigs, some performances will stay with you forever. And this is one of them. I've never, ever heard such an incredible performance vocally than this one. It blew my mind. You would have heard a pin drop in that venue, but my God, this voice is something you need to see live. It is astonishing. So I'm so excited to share this interview with you all in just a couple of minutes time. But before we do, as always, let's quickly touch base and talk about my last episode. I was joined by Neil Blomkamp. We got to sit and focus on his brand new film, Gran Turismo, and much more. And a massive thank you to everyone that checked it out. But today it's all about Manchester Orchestra, one of the greatest bands that I've ever listened to and I really do mean that. And the good thing is, if you haven't, this is also out on YouTube so you can go and check it out now and actually watch the interview. I've had so many requests of people asking to film some of my interviews and I did it. So if you want, go on YouTube, type in Mark and Me Podcast and there's four videos up there already and they're doing really well. But hopefully you stick around as a podcast fan and listen to today. So, I think it's time. Here's me and Andy Hull, the genius from Manchester Orchestra, talking all things music. So Andy, welcome to the Mark and Me podcast. Thank you very much. What I love to do with all guests that come on the show is take it right back to the very start. Okay. So when you were a kid, can you tell me what was that first album that you remember buying or that was given to you that changed your life? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if it changed my life, but I have a distinct memory of the Space Jam soundtrack, 1993, 4, 5, somewhere around then. Um, and the song, I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly. I was not expecting you to say that. I don't think I was either. Um, the cooler answer is, uh, is, <laughs> well, is, 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 is Blur Song 2 or Machine Head by, by Bush. Those were sort of the first songs that I learned how to play guitar on and made myself like a makeshift drum kit of boxes and uh, Christmas tree holders as symbols um, that I would bang on. But uh, the truth is it's... Uh, defamed and disgusting R. Kelly was my first one. <laughs> Do you know what, though? Weirdly, one of the first songs I learned on the guitar was Machine Head, because I just remember the... Really simple. Super easy. But I just was blown away by the fact that Gavin Rosdale was playing that while the guitarist was just doing a different chord, but he carried on playing the same sequence. And that I adore that in music. That's, well, that's one of the things I love the most. 100%. I mean, that's really where like movie scoring is based on that concept, yeah. you know, in general, of like how is this melody going to work over top? And Manchester's really over the last eight years 
I've gotten really fascinated with that of, of repeating melodies and motifs and things that can work over different structures and how a melody over top of a minor chord carries a whole different weight of emotions to it. So yes, I agree with you. We're going to get straight I didn't, deep I didn't in learn there any now, of that part about Machine Head. I no, just knew the one riff. You it, know? Just, it just blew my mind when I learned to play it. And I was like, that's so cool that all it is is two chords while that's playing, but it's still making that main riff just really stand out. 100%. Yeah. I love that song. Uh, and Blur song too is similar. Like, they, yeah. you know, it's just a very simple thing to play with power chords. Didn't yeah. take much, you know? I swear it might be Machine Head backwards. You're right. Which is insane. That's really funny. But with music, one of the first live bands I was ever lucky enough to see, I'm 41 now, so when I was growing up, my parents let me go to my first gig when I was about 11 or 12, and it was Green Day on their Dookie tour. Amazing. And it was mind-blowing. Of course. So when I was there, I was like, I can't believe there's only three people on that stage making that much noise. And playing stuff like When I Come Around and She and all these incredible songs. Yeah made me actually love music more than when I was at home listening on CD. That was when I was like, the hairs on my neck were sticking up, I got goosebumps, and I was like, I want to spend the rest of my life going to gigs. Like, it blew my mind. There's something to it. I was just, I just heard the other day um, a scientist talking about how they believe that, really, if you take it all the way back, that um, you know, music and dancing were likely the first... Um, ways that human beings communicated with each other before we actually knew what language was. And so there's something like actually like scientific happening in our bodies that live music just sort of nothing else can replicate because like what you just said and what you experienced in that room, even without a cognitive knowledge that it's happening is you were a part of that music. Like yeah. it's going through your body and it's radiating back to the stage. And so there's this like, there's this, a connection there's a com- instantly hundred yeah. percent. It's a communion between people um, that can't be replicated, not to go too deep immediately into like AI, but it's one of the like, I think positive things about that, that likely won't be able to take over um, the live music thing, just because there is such a like human element to to that thing. There's nothing robotic about a guy singing with his vocal that makes the, like watching a performance from Jeff Buckley that will never be replaced by AI. Correct. Like, it's it's too pure. I just went and saw another three-piece, very different than, you know, circa Dookie Green Day, but I went and saw The Smile play, um, the new Tom York and Johnny I Greenwood. I saw them in Manchester last year with my wife. So what's that, you would say, one of the greatest shows you've ever seen in your entire I life? I couldn't believe that he can do that Same. and then go, I'm going to go back to Radiohead in a few months. I'm Same. like, how do you get to have two of the greatest things around? And three people, and no tracks. <laughs> I was and looking re- like, that can't just be Johnny on guitar, there's got to be someone else. Yeah, man, else. We, we got seats for the, the venue that they played in Atlanta, we know the guys who run it, and so we were able to get like these seats. And it was really more like we, me and Robert were watching like a, a, a lesson, like a full-blown yeah. like master's thesis in, in sound and and in performance so we were up above and we could actually look and we were doing the same you're thing you're getting like, a notebook out and being like yeah, that's we're like, the pedal he's how using how are they doing it yeah. you know and even just the choreography of the crew that they oh, had was incredible. masterful you know and the way that Tom York would be like on this song I'm just going to start playing a bit of bass guitar and you forget he's there I know you're like watching the show and you're like oh yeah Tom York's over there playing bass <laughs> it was mind blowing really there was cool. a song I can't remember the exact track name so I'm rubbish with names it's always like track 8 on the album but I'm particularly um, bad with his song names. Yeah. I'm usually pretty good about other artists. The whole set was blue and he was playing on his piano. uh, And honestly, dude, 
my wife, I looked around and she was lost. Like mm -hmm. she was gone. There was no like, hey, what do you think to this song? She was just in that moment and it was magical to watch. And yeah. I was like, that's one guy just singing his heart out, playing on this, you know, organ. And it was just so pure. Yeah, man. I mean, that's how I felt too. And I'm jaded towards that stuff. So when, you know, I can go to a show and feel like I'm actually levitating, it was like, it's that same exact feeling you fell in love with at the Green Day show. Yeah. You know, it's that thing. It's why I'm obsessed with this as my job, you know, and continue to do it because you're, you're always chasing that. What, what was your first, and you can be honest if it's embarrassing, and I'm, hopefully it's not like R. Kelly or someone, but what was oh, the first be, it'll live be worse. gig you went to? It'll be worse than that. Um, so I grew up in a really, um, uh, in a church family. So like we were really not, other than oldies, we didn't really listen to a lot of quote unquote like secular music when I was growing up. So the first show I went was the, the biggest Christian band back in the day. It was this band called DC Talk in, uh, from, from, from DC. Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone in America has. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to check them everyone. out after this interview. Um, DC Talk. DC Talk. I think it stood for Decent Christian Talk, but there was a lot of like, who knows exactly what it is. But anyways, <laughs> like they were like a hip hop band that turned into a rock band. And I saw them play at the uh, Toronto Sky Dome for like a big Christian conference. Um, and yeah, I can't say that it like uh, really moved me or changed anything about me. Really, the first time I, I got, no, there were a few. I mean, like I'm trying to think of some of like the first real like great shows I saw in my early teens. Um, I saw the I saw the Strokes play on their first tour at the Tabernacle in Atlanta with uh, Regina Spector and Kings of Leon opening up for the that tour. So is that for, is this it? It would have been, is this oh, it? Oh, wow. Yeah. At that peak for me, I was like, wow, yes. what a debut. Yeah, I believe so. Or if it was not that, it was like the week yeah. Room on Fire came out. It was, but, it, but, I, but I also saw them on, I can't remember which, I saw them on both of those tours. Um, I remember looking at my buddy, and they're playing, it must have been Room on Fire because they're playing the opening track of off of Room on Fire. I want to be forgotten, that whole moment. And me and my friend are literally just like jumping up and down, like standing in place with our arms raised, strobe lights going and just smiling. You know, just like, man, I want to try and do this with my life, you know. And then it was like seeing punk shows. So like being in a small conservative Christian high school, no one's really doing anything other than like hunting or looking at the wind on the weekends. Um, and so... <laughs> what are you up to this weekend? Some deers? Uh, maybe a rabbit? There's something to that. There is some zen that's amazing to me about those people that can like go sit in the woods for 10 hours and not think about anything, but it's not it's for some me. Some camouflage gear and just... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just, that's not for me. Not for me either. Um, but going to there's a, a adjacent town to where i live called athens georgia and this is where like rem came out of neutral milk hotel all the olivia um trimmer control the elephant six collective very cool underground uh kind of diy scene and i remember going with an older friend of mine and going into a club and i was too young to get in but they snuck me in the back door and i'm watching you know, maybe 40 people at this venue and going like this is this is the alternate lifestyle That's I've amazing. been looking for, you know? Yeah. Um, little did I know, you know, that was like a curse to myself to just spend the next five years in shitty clubs like that. But <laughs> you never but got, I got to go further. I got what I asked for. Yeah. That's amazing, man. And I suppose with Manchester Orchestra, um, I've not been there since the start, so I can't claim to be the fan that was there yeah. you know, almost 20 years ago. The reason I started listening to you is my favorite band of all time are Frice. 
Um, literally, I think Dustin is probably one of the best frontman and songwriters in the music industry. Like, mm-hmm. he's a god. Yeah. And every time I saw him and interviewed him for the podcast, he'd have a Manchester Orchestra t-shirt on. Yeah, and I was like, that's awesome. who's that? So I went home and I was like, oh, okay, now I can see. And it just genuinely, dude, changed my life. Like, oh, wow. The that's moment amazing. I started listening, I was like, how have I missed out on this band? And then I started telling my friends, like, have you heard Manchester Orchestra? And all of them are like, of course I have, you fucking idiot. Like... <laughs> Well, there's one of two responses. There are people either definitely know who we are, or they have no earthly idea who we are. You know, it's one of the two. Did you see yourself still being doing this after all this time? Was there like a vision at the start? Because I believe didn't you start off just wanting to do it as a solo thing and do it as your own? Yeah, I mean, just that because it was sort of the natural reaction to being in your first rock band. You know, so like I'm in a band with a bunch of guys in high school. We're together play first show Halloween 2001 last show Halloween 2002 you know it's like a year long (laughs) I didn't like the dynamics of a band where everybody had equal say um and I couldn't I wanted like to have my own band you know I wanted to be the one that was writing the songs and I felt like the least cocky way to do that um was just saying well I will just go make my own thing um and if any of my friends want to come collaborate you know that would be great to have them and that's sort of where the orchestra idea the name came from but to answer your question a hundred percent this is what I was hoping that I would do you know my folks always used to laugh at me because they'd ask like what plan b was and there was just never a plan b for me of any kind and I just set a goal that was like if I can sell a hundred tickets in every city that I go to, then that is like a level of success that I still, to this day, if everything went away and that was still where I was sitting, I would still feel like a great sense of gratitude and accomplishment in that. That's awesome. Um, because they're, because that's still a, such a powerful movement. You know, it's like the moments that happen in, in rooms like that are that small. There's still such a connection. Um, so the hope was, you know, that there was never a hope to be like the biggest band in the whole world, but there was always a hope to try and be like the greatest band or in my opinion, try and like keep pushing forward and never really have limitations on how far we could push or what kind of sound, you know, we should be. And guys like Thrice have, have been doing that for their careers as well. It's, you know, always kind of taking left turns and Dustin's about to do that again um with with something he's working on too that's insanely great album, yeah yeah, like, yeah blows my mind yeah and the first one was incredible so i'm like give me more it's really really just good stop making me yeah. wait so long no you'll really <laughs> like it i was just with him um a couple months ago in la we played there and his wife shadley's very they're both so encouraging and have been to me he's a good few years older than me and he's really been like a he's a helpful big brother to me yeah um and really likes our music and genuinely likes it. So that's, you know. He's like a, always, always wearing your colors. So that's it's, amazing. It's fucking awesome. That's it's working, cool. isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Shout out, Dustin. Thanks, Steve. So what I normally ask people is, and you answered it for me, is I always find it quite strange because when I was growing up and I wanted to be in a band, I wanted to be Kurt Cobain, I wanted to grow my hair and yep. play stuff like Livium and stuff like that. But my parents were always like, well, you need to get a real job and then you can do the band as a back, you know, mm-hmm. as a bit of fun, but you need a backup. So go to uni, do all the things, tick all the boxes. 
But you just said like your parents were kind of not encouraging in that way. Were they kind of like... <laughs> well, I think they saw the writing on the wall when yeah. the report cards were coming home from school. And... <laughs> like some... Yeah. <laughs> Are you fucking turning up? <laughs> like, yeah. sure, university would be a good yeah. idea if there's one that would take me. Like, yeah. I had really, really, really bad grades. Not failing, but as close to failing. Me too. As, as could be. And all from... I'm not a stupid person. Um, uh hopefully, <laughs> but it was all just cause I, and I'm still sort of this way. Like I just don't care if I don't care. And no. so when I found things that I cared about, well, the thing is it's not interesting you, is it? So if you're bored Correct. in school, I'm bored. I don't want to read this text. I Correct. don't want to read this story about something that I don't Especially care about. Especially when it's about. not being taught to you well. Yeah. When I had great teachers, I did well, well in the classes. When it's music lessons, you know? and they're like, right. you know, bring in something that you love. And I'm like, there's Nirvana, never mind. I want to play along to Polly and learn. Yep. And it's like, I'll do that all day. Exactly. I can spend 12 hours a yeah, day doing this. Yeah, give me that all day. But stop putting me in a science lab telling me how this is going to make this different colors. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Exactly. <laughs> I never you know? needed it. And, and the kids that did matter too they loved it you know and, and they're like, now all on amazing and they're jobs. doing great um <laughs> rich the bastards. and successful <laughs> but are they happy but i can play i can play poly on an acoustic <laughs> exactly so they might, be, they might okay. still be bored though yeah um so yeah like basically in the states you need enough credits to graduate high school and so i only needed three credits for what would have been my last year of high school and asked them and kind of pleaded would it be okay if i stayed home this year and could homeschool myself and get these credits and kind of figure out what I want to do. My dad and mom have always been since I was younger too, of like, don't have to go to college right away. Like take a year, figure out what you want to do. Um, always encouraging, encouraging us to travel, taking us around, showing us different cultures and, and different ways of life. So, um, you know, in retrospect, it's crazy when I think about it. Like, yeah. whoa, cause I have a nine year old daughter now and the idea of in nine years from now, she's like, yeah, I want to start my, you know, acoustic or my solo music career. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can, that just seems like a lot, but they were cool about it. And I had a, a someone that was really supportive of me, an older a guy who worked for a, a magazine called Paste Magazine. And he helped me put some money together to record an album and buy me like a decent guitar amp that wasn't like That's a small awesome. guy. And just a guy that still, to this day, I still know him. His name is Joe Kirk. Um, just very encouraging to me. He saw something at a battle of bands I played when I was 17 and um, he knew I wasn't there and I wasn't there yet. Um, obviously, I still feel like I'm working on getting there, but... Um, he was able to really like, I think, calm my parents down too. There was another, there was an adult in the room with children yeah, and a job, cool. you know, that was like, no, Andy's like good at this, you know, because they thought I was good, but I'm their kid. So who knows? Yeah, you know? they're always going to say that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that was kind of it. No backup plan. Um, and it kind of started taking off. We've never had an astronomical rise or a boom, but every year we've just gotten a little bit bigger and, you know, by the time I think we booked like David Letterman and I was like 20, which is in America, that was the show that you want to try and yeah. get onto. This is like, you know, an institution. And once I called my parents and told them that, I think they, they were like, okay, well, that's an incredible accomplishment. Turn the so telly this, now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Mom, no, dude, they see, came. Yeah. They flew to New York that's and amazing. came. Yeah. <laughs> they had to. Well, yeah, that is awesome. Cool. Yeah. So I suppose with being in a band that's been going so long, and you just said the words, you know, you still don't think you've made it yet. Yeah. Isn't that a great way to be, that you're quite humble, you're quite level, and you're kind of grounded because you must be able to see that you've not suddenly got this number one album overnight but it's a slow burn, yeah. but the burn is always going upwards. And for a fan of your music, it's great to see that you're continually 
evolving as a band, you right. know, like Radiohead, who we've mentioned today, like right. Thrice. Right. You don't play it safe. You don't just do the same 10 songs, release another album, and it's like, okay, it's that band again. They're doing it. They're playing it safe. You're always stretching the boundaries. I think that because we got weird early, so like we released a first record that people connected to, not a large group of people, the people that did, it really connected with them, and then we made a pretty aggressive record that followed that, pretty unhinged album, um, but great songs on it. Um, I think it threw people for a loop, but then once they were able to go like, oh, okay, wait, so we're not really quite sure what this band is, and then by the time we released our third record, and it's this, you know, symphonic thing that, you know, isn't that grungy anymore, it was like we'd piss off 25% of the fan base, but then within the year or two, 50% more people would, like, hear it, and then those people would start to understand, like, definitely a band that when we release records, we'll have a group of our fans that go, I have no idea what they're doing, I hate this, and then five years later, they're like, that's my favorite record, I finally get it, you know? That's what radio fans do. I didn't like Kid A. The very first time I put it on, I was like, what is this? And then now, like, it's probably their greatest work. Right. Yeah, I, I know. It's it's funny when that happens, too, because it can be both ways. Like, and it's turned into a Radiohead podcast, but, like, similarly for me with, with some of their records. But then, like, when I heard um, in Rainbows, it was oh a first God. listen. You know, it was yeah. like, oh, yeah, perfect. Perfect record. Cool. Got yeah. it. You know? So no, it's true. It's, uh, I don't think either one are like right or wrong, but it's fascinating when it, when it happens. So being involved in the band and obviously at the, the forefront of it, do you see the kind of growth or is it too close to home? So do you kind question. of take a step back and then see, oh, do you remember last year when we played the festival? We weren't on that stage, but now we are. And now we're later on in the afternoon. Yeah. Do you see that it, it is like progressing? Yeah. It's funny what when it happens to us, it's more of like logistical moments. So like, because we've gotten slow at such a slow pace, it'll be three or four years and you, you look around and like on this last tour, it was like, guys, we need another semi truck. Like you are selling so much merch now that like we need a truck to carry this merch. And we're like, what? That's a good problem. Like, what do you mean? Like we we just, we we should be able to fit all of this in the trailer behind the bus. Like we always do, (laughs) you know? Um, and so it's, it's, it kind of comes up like that where we're like, our manager, uh, Mark, will have to tell us a lot. And I hate to remind you this, but you're a bigger band than you were last year. So we need to order this and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm grateful for that, too, because when those moments happen, you know, you just said kind of the looking out. We talk about the drone view all the time. Yeah. Like really kind of pop yourself up and take a look around and, and be grateful for the, you know, the growth that's happening. Because when it is happening slowly, there are times when it doesn't feel like it's moving at all, you know, and you just kind of have to keep your head down and keep trying to do good work. It must be difficult because you, you are moving, but I suppose it's because it's at a slow rate sometimes. It must just feel like I'm just paused. Like, why have we not done anything? But you are. Everything's going on in the background. You've got Absolutely. new music being written. Yes. You're always doing something. Yes. We're making a living. We've yes. been making a living. We're doing, you know, like those things that I have to remind myself. Like, yeah, yeah dude, you don't, I'm always going to worry. I'm a worrier just kind of at heart. And I think that also helps me remain uh, kind of prepared um, and always thinking about what's the next two, three, four, five years. What does this look like? Um, so, yeah, it's like uh, taking the moment to kind of look and go, yeah, man, you, uh, you own a home. You have a family that loves you. And, and you get to do what you love. this is your job. Yeah, yeah. You love I mean, this, a lot of the bands you know? I interview at festivals, even when they're on the main stage, they finish and I'm like, so what are you up to tomorrow? And they're like, oh, I'm working at Subway. I need to go and pay my bills. You know, wow. th- there's there's a point where people still are struggling because yeah, the industry is so... It's brutal. Brutal with 
streaming and Spotify giving you like a penny for 10 million downloads. And people are like, unless I sell some t-shirts tonight, we're not getting food on the way home. And it's like, God, it is, it's, it's awful out there. Yeah. We were in that zone for a really, really long time, you know, and especially coming over here too. It's probably the 20th time we've come over here and, you know, we just in the last couple of years started to turn a profit coming over here. Yeah. So, you know, it's a lot of like investment and time and you want to be able to perform for people everywhere, but sometimes logistically you just can't. Um, but yeah, I mean, as someone who also owns some of my own records and sees what we actually get paid from Spotify, it is, it's, it's robbery. It's sad. <laughs> so what do you kind of see yourself doing in the next six to 12 months? Because with the pandemic, everyone had a couple of years out. Right. It gave everyone like a restart button. You could finish projects maybe that you hadn't done or spend time with family that you've neglected. But now it's like you've had the EP out earlier yep. on in the year, which is genuinely, I think, your finest ever work. Thank you very much. And now I'm like, give me more. Yeah. Like, it's not enough of an album. I want more. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. thank you, but you've left me wanting so much that's good. more. That's good. It that's, is, that's, yeah. that's, that's, it's better, the trailer. That's better than being full. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've had enough. No yeah. more. I couldn't have one more song. <laughs> Go away. Too much filler. So yeah, I mean, we were just entering, we kind of do this where we work real hard on after we've released something and we go and, and we promote it and, you know, it's sort of a typical thing, but we like to go into hibernation and, uh, and get into a creative zone. So we're going to just begin, we already have begun creating this year while we've been home. Um, but yeah, next year is going to be kind of the full, like really figure out how to, to lock down this vision that, that I've got um, for this next kind of phase. And you're also very important and behind a lot of the visuals of the bands. So we've right. last year or earlier this year, we were meant to see the short film and yes. everything else. So I take it you've got this huge desire and passion to do more directing and film stuff because that's yeah. where my heart is. Yeah, like, me my too. life is film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love too. doing um, podcasting with bands, but movies are where my life changes and I go to the cinema and that's my church. You know, it can change my life every time I go there. I completely relate and agree. I'm a habitual alone in the movie theater person. Um, the earliest, the earlier the show, the better. Uh, so I could hopefully be completely alone in a theater. I mean, that's where I get a lot of inspiration from too. You know, I think the, the medium of those, uh, story, the storytelling and film mixed with music is like, uh, unparalleled. I've cons- I think we've always been, we've been described this way, but I think it just comes naturally to us too, but we write cinema- cinematic music. I feel like the records and stories that we're telling are movies that are playing out on a record. So the visual components always almost equally as important to yeah. what's happening with the music. Um, and yeah, like finding the right collaborators that, that understand that vision. And um, I'm like really into... Um, uh, storytelling i'm trying to just get better and better at storytelling and learning things too from like screenwriting and and taking some classes and reading a lot of books about character development and certain things i you know i have done naturally without knowing i was doing them but now really trying to learn even more about how i can tell uh better stories and longer form stories so it feels like it's an mm-hmm. art that could never be mastered, even if you're Scorsese or Christopher Nolan. Isn't that beautiful? But that's the same with music, man. Yeah. It's like that. There, once, 
once I realized that there was actually no like solution. Like nice. I used to say, like trying to finish a record that you've like poured your heart into is like working on this crazy like bank vault lock and you finally like get through the lock and the record's done. And then behind that door is just like an even more complicated lock for the next record. <laughs> and it just never stops. But I've only met you today and I'm sure you're the guy that when it's finished, you're like, okay, let's all go home. But then you're like, let me back in. I just want to paint a little bit more 100%, on that. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Like, I can't leave it. Like, you go home, guys. I'm just going to pack up. And then yeah. you're like, let me play a bit more. Yeah, there is a psychotic mental breakdown that can happen sometimes, especially during the mixing process. Yeah. When you have really, there's nothing else to add. There's only adjustments to levels and EQs. Um, that gets terrifying, you know? Really, really, like, scary. How, and how do you teach yourself to say this is enough now? Do you have to get someone else to, like, manually pull you out of the yeah, room sometimes. and say, stop it now? Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Like I've been with, here 41 hours. I'm not doing any more editing on the EQ of that vocal. Like, with Black Mile, we nearly killed ourselves trying to finish that, and I didn't, wasn't able to listen to that record for, like, a year after it came out because I just didn't think that we accomplished what I had in my mind. I go back and listen to it now. I'm like, it's fantastic, man. Like, what are you talking about? It was there, but you just don't know. It's Not like you are moment. right you in the eye of you? the storm. You, you need the time it's to essential. then reflect. It's essential. And we, we incorporate that into making the records too. So we'll go really hard and work on something for six weeks, eight weeks, and then we will take four weeks to eight weeks off of something. Go work on it, something else. Go be with our families. Go play some shows. Go work with other artists. And then you come back to it, man, and that refresh rate and how you can look at things differently is like uh, is so important i think you need it otherwise you're just going to go insane and probably be like stanley kubrick and just go absolutely off the rails you do and yeah. i and i have and it's yeah. not great for anyone not the band Especially not the, the family you, not, yeah. exactly not the children at home it's yeah. not it's not good so with million masks we were really fortunate that when covid hit we had all this time to mix because everything was shut down. So Catherine's mixing in London for four to six hours a day for like months. And so we just could creep it up. It was nothing to, usually you got like two weeks to mix something if you're lucky. Sometimes I was gonna say that's a long time. Sometimes it's a song a day, yeah. sometimes it's multiples a day, but this time we got like months to really have it. So that was great because I literally did get to check every box. And then we had to sit on that record for a while, for eight months before it was released just to hopefully tour off of it. And I was proud of myself because when I would go back and listen to it, I didn't want to change anything. It was like, no, no that's done. That is finished, you know? That must so. be a one-off. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> or maybe I'm getting older and more mature. Yeah. I don't know. So I suppose with the film, Love, um, do you see yourself as one day making a full film, as in that's yours, directed a story that you can tell with not just the music but no lyrics, actually a film? I hope so. Yeah. I'm still so fascinated in this journey that I'm on right now with Manchester and, yeah. and music and this kind of grand story arc that began with Black Mile. Um, but I can tell that all the stuff I'm learning and, and, and trying to get better at and kind of um, breaking down my normal habits and, and trying to reconstruct them into something different that, you know, is kind of inspiring it all is very clearly like leading to at some point I'm gonna like have to write a screenplay and figure it out. Um, You're like me, it's scary because I buy screenplays for films that I adore and then kind of re-see the film in a different light because I'm reading totally. it and not seeing the visuals myself. So I love Cameron Crowe, uh, almost yeah. famous as one of my yeah, yeah, favorite yeah. films ever, hence why I've got his handwriting on me. That's amazing. Um, but I literally will read the screenplay and try and vision how I would do it 
and try and not see his vision. Wow. And that's tough. Yeah, I'm sure, because you've already seen you've it already too. You've already seen it. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I feel like I've got a film in me and I get to work on film sets as a job and it's incredible. But I'm learning all the time. I'm like a sponge. I'm like, how did you do yeah. that? What do you mean you use that camera? And why have you got this angle? And I know that one day it's all going to lead to this film. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. I'm getting on, so I don't want to be like 91. I'm like, here's my debut short film. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never get to see it because I'm dying. But I, I do hope that one day me and you are maybe at a film festival. I'm like, do you remember we when did we it. spoke about we this? And we actually did it. Well, the best thing about art is that it's never too late to do it. And no. you're never too old to do anything. And... You know, there it's some that's a that's a young man's myth that you can't make cool stuff, you know, as you get older in your life. You can absolutely make the coolest stuff you've ever made, you know, yeah. and it happens all the time. So And you've got experience behind you and you've got life lessons behind you. So if I did it at twenty, I'd be chaotic. I'd be making something that's too fast, it's yeah. too full on, yeah. no matureness about it. Now I can be like, Do you know what? I don't give a shit about all the numbers and all the fans and trying to get all the likes. I just want to focus on what really matters, which is a good story, a good way of like actually telling it, and then the payoff. And if I can do that with some art and style yeah. and some heart, I've done what I want to achieve. There's this great theory, um, and or just you know examination of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies and what you just said reminded me of it with the youth to to and into maturity. So like you see his first movie, Boogie Nights, and even Magnolia, like pretty frantic yeah. shooting, constant changes, really rapid. It's 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 distracting you. And, you know, I always felt like that was his youth, you know, almost trying to um, make up for not him a fear that the substance wasn't there underneath. And then you watch as this man continues to make movies and, you know, you'll see a two minute long scene in Boogie Nights that eight million different things happen in. And you see one scene in Phantom Thread that's just Daniel Day-Lewis like eating a biscuit for two minutes. And it's like the most gorgeous shot you've ever seen in your life. So and I true. look at music that way too, where it's like my first couple records, I was young. I was 19 when we made Virgin and 21 when I made uh, Mean Everything to Nothing. And there's that youth to it. I'm super proud of them that, that they are because they're documents of that time. But like Valley of Vision, definitely be more of like that's Daniel Day-Lewis eating a biscuit for, for 90 seconds. I was driving seconds. here today <laughs> and I put it on again because the most life's frantic life is busy and it finds I find it difficult now just to listen to an album in its entirety sure. because I'm like oh someone's texting or I've got to do this or I've got to do that and I listened to your EP on the way today which I don't always get to do from start to finish and I was actually sitting there today truly thinking this needs to be in the background of a film like I need mm. to see this in Interstellar, where right. the start of the music at the ambience is all going on and take away your vocal for a few minutes yeah. and I can see Christopher Nolan putting some shots together and I was just picturing <laughs> That's awesome. it That's and a great I was compliment. like, it would Thank work you. so well and I'm thinking to myself like, I wonder if he's going to do a film score yeah. eventually, I wonder yeah. if he's going to like experiment and well we've done so vocals. we did we did swiss army man yes, right yes. and then we did the death of dick long um and then we've, we've we've had some opportunities but they didn't feel we really loved working on those two movies so that any a couple of other things have come up that didn't feel like they would have been right for the you. right thing for yeah, us um, so we're just waiting you know like um to see what the next thing is that we're we're going to be able to do but we love it it's such a fun process and um so stretching for us because it really works muscles outside of just songwriting um 
So yeah, man, I, I don't know. It's, it's something we love. It's something that deeply inspires everything that we do. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'll do the music for your uh, movie whenever you, you get incredible. around to that We'll thing. team up and I'll That's help it. it. That'd be amazing. And I'll promote it on the podcast <laughs> and we'll go on tour. And at that time, this will be the number one podcast we, in the entire universe. That would so be incredible. So and then we'll do Q&As. <laughs> it all sells itself. But I suppose, what is it going to be like then? You're going to get back from this tour. You've done three days in London. Tonight yeah. we're here in Manchester. Are you going to have a bit of a breather before writing again? Are you going to spend some time with family? Are you just going to just kind of hit the reset? Or have you already got some ideas from kind of... Yeah, we have tons of stuff, like yeah. ideas. I can't and... imagine you ever stopping completely. No, we, we can't because we don't want to, first of all. But also, like, we have this studio that's right down the road from us and we really love creating it we make sure we go there for a few hours a day even if it's just to do something if it's to go cover a song we really love that may never come out just go work on something and um i think i used to beat myself up when i was younger about being in the studio and not accomplishing you know the the perfect take or this this because it was this allotted time and i've really given myself a lot more grace of like this takes a bit man like go in Sometimes you need weeks, months of just like clearing out cobwebs in your brain to figure out what you want to write. That means I might write 20 mediocre songs that get me to the 21st. Because I've been doing this so long, those 20 mediocre songs don't scare me like they used to. So um, I just think keeping that muscle, just like working out or um, eating healthy. It's like you want to just like put good things in your body um, artistically that just kind of help keeping it moving you know is there an album not too far away because i feel like an ep is always like just teasing you ready for sure. something bigger um there's nothing that's been completed um and there's a lot of work we have to do so there's a grand big plan and i don't want to spoil it because no, it's just course. way too early um but i'm really really excited about it um and so is the rest of the band and so yeah we're gonna this year we'll probably be more of like smaller sessions and then top of next year i imagine we're gonna start getting at it that sounds exciting. And yeah, would it be that long until you're back in the UK? Are you looking at hopefully next summer coming back maybe so festivals? Or? Yes, we are. We I can't announce we're doing a really great festival next summer um, that we will be back for. Um, you said it, not me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, we're really excited uh, to come back and do that and whatever that festival may be. Yeah. And I um, think I might bring the kids over for that too. And, and, My favorite and, and festival in the UK. That's and they've what, just that's announced. For the headline on I, Thursday, I know they so. have I was talking about it I believe we might be playing right before them that um, would be magical yeah I, I really love him um, it's the most feel good right size festival out there that's what I've heard it's beautiful um, we've and been I, offered to play it a bunch of times and this is the first yeah. time it worked out where we you know I might not be allowed to release this episode for a few weeks or take this bit out yeah just, just, just edit okay. it yeah just, yeah, just bleep it. it out old yeah. school <laughs> and um, my final question because I know we're obviously under mm. time is what I do on this podcast is every guest that comes on gets to choose the final piece of music that's played Ooh, wow. so as the episode's all edited and ready for the world to listen to you can have any song by any band by anyone in the world to be played. And I know your brain's going, I've got a million songs, I need to get down to a thousand. But what's a song that means so much to you that would be a beautiful song now to be played as oh I say goodbye? Oh my God, okay, hold on. I've asked this to Dustin, I've asked this to uh, Jim Adkins, I've asked this to Brandon Boyd. All right, I got it. Well, I was gonna go kids first, like what my kids are listening to, but... but be that, you, be but selfish, that, but that's, go for but the that's, one that you want. that's just Post Malone and the song Morning, which is a track, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I like Post Malone. Let me make it clear. I'm not ashamed. Um, 
my one of my favorite, if not my favorite, living songwriters is a guy named John K. Sampson from formerly of the band Propaganda and the band The Weaker Thans, and he's released a couple of solo records. But I, he's one of these guys like Paul Simon is to me, where I think I know all the material, and then uh, sure enough, there's a song that somehow slipped past me. And he's such a um, incredible storyteller, using so little. There's a song called Bigfoot. And this song is off the record reunion show, 2006, I think. Um, and this song is a, about a true story from the perspective of a man, I believe, in northern Manitoba in Canada, seeing Sasquatch, seeing Bigfoot, wow. and knowing he saw him, and um, and having to sort of now talk to reporters, and the town has... Um, is now famous because of this, but they're all looking at him and he knows they're all looking at him like he's a little bit crazy. And it's about 90 seconds and it is the most heartbreaking, beautiful tune. And it's something I've been singing to myself the last couple months. So that feels like the most fitting to me. I've done 300 episodes. I've never had a song under 90 seconds and I've never had this track. So this is good because people pick the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Oasis, Pearl Jam, but then this is new. This is something different. No, it isn't. It is though. I want to hear something new because then what I'll do is over the next week is I'll go down this rabbit hole and just find out loads of new stuff please do please listen to his last solo album called winter wheat um that is one of the best records i've ever heard you really cannot go wrong with this man's music so i hope all the I listeners enjoy it too and uh, thank you for coming on and i hope i'll pass you are very good at this man we we could have we could have talked for a lot longer dude i, I, I hope we time. can i hope we That'd can awesome. we'll just do films you. yeah that's it we'll just, just yeah. do films. thank you dude yeah man thank you thank you So there it is. There's my interview with me and Andy Hull. We clicked, we got on straight away, the chemistry was like nothing else, and I can't wait to do a follow-up to this. One of my favourite interviews that I've ever recorded, and I just absolutely love Andy and everything about him. So a massive thanks to Matt from the Good As Gold group for helping make this happen. Like I said at the start of today's episode, this is a band you can't ignore. They're absolutely amazing. And if you're lucky enough to catch them at a live show, do it. Do not worry about how to get there, money, whatever you need to do, go and see this band. It is an experience you can't miss out on. I had one of the best times ever and a great night with Jen from False Advertising. It was just amazing from start to finish. And seriously, this band are just something else. If you've listened to today and you really enjoy the episode, all I ask in return is to share the episode. That costs you guys at home absolutely nothing. All you need to do is go on Facebook and hit the share button, on Twitter and hit the retweet button, or on Instagram and just like it. Honestly, that gets more people to see this interview and then we'll go and check it out. And before you know it, they're then listening to the interview from bands like Frice, Jimmy Eat World, Hell is for Heroes, and that's how Mark and Me works. It's all word of mouth. I'm a one-man team and people forget this. I don't have a big marketing budget. I don't have a management team. It's literally just me. So I rely on you guys to share these episodes to help me grow and help build a brand new audience, a bigger audience, and more people to come on the journey for Mark and me. 
Also, as I said earlier, I do have a YouTube channel set up now. If you can subscribe on there and watch any of the videos and give it a thumbs up, that will really go a long way. I'm trying to go all out right now to bring you all some videos in there with some incredible bands, directors, artists, writers, and I'm bringing you so much material. So go on there and hit that subscribe button. And as always, I understand times are hard, but this podcast can't run without support on Patreon. So if you can do that, there's a link on markandme.com. It's only £1 a month. For that, you get a welcome pack that includes a badge, stickers, you get entered in some exclusive prize draws, and that's all on markandme.com. But please, if you can afford it, it goes a massive way and goes right back into the making of the podcast. Also, before I go, I want to give a big shout out to the sponsors of Mark and Me, Folio Society, who are my favourite book company in the world. I'm so lucky to be endorsed by those guys. So please, if you're in the market for a brand new book, go on foliosociety.com. And also the lovely folks at Richer Sounds, by far the best people out there for buying TVs, home cinema systems, Sonos, headphones, all the stuff you need, go on richersounds.com. It really means a lot that those guys sponsor me and continues to help and support Mark and me each and every episode. Right, things have never been this busy at Mark and me, especially now I'm doing videos as well as audio. And over the next two weeks, there's so much stuff coming your way. So please, until then, go and listen to Manchester Orchestra, look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all very soon. Change the oils and oil the squeaks Patch the holes and fluid leaks At dusk beneath a diabetic moon And wait to take the TV crews Across the creaking ice The news is howling To the timber wolves and soon I'll go through it all again Watch their doubtful smiles begin But the visions that I see believe in me So praise the things I can't forget With burgers and a silhouette On t-shirts at the council general store I'll listen to the south wind sigh with rumors and regrets and I don't want to talk about it anymore Won't go through it all again Watch their doubtful smiles begin When the visions that I see believe in me that I see there.